You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Use promo code GATORS to double your first deposit. Only at mybookie.ag. This episode of Gators Breakdown is also brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And we have a jam-packed episode right here on this Monday night before Florida, Georgia coming at you. We got Florida, Georgia game coming up Saturday, and we got commits to talk about right here on this Monday night Roger Kearney, offensive lineman at an Orange Park right outside of Jacksonville, commits to the Gators, and we'll also get into the decision of big-time five-star cornerback Cormani McLean. His decision coming up Thursday, as I said, jam-packed episode. And to help me break it all down, of course, Monday night, Will Miles joins me as he does every Monday night. And our special guest, the head of Florida, Georgia, is Ben Troop. So, as I said, plenty to get into, and we got plenty of avenues right here to get to all of it. So, Will, Ben, guys, thanks for joining us. We, we got plenty to discuss. Just a little bit, buddy. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, what, what recruit, recruit so close to Dave. I don't know a part. I don't know where you at, Dave. But Dave, look, they, they, they here. I don't know where they at. But yes, Dave, we got recruits, Florida, Georgia, Billy Napier. He gonna need all the good publicity he can get before Saturday because you already know we already <laughs> waiting. Hey, this is about a year ago. I asked Dan Mullen that famous recruiting question. And here we are talking about an actual commit Florida Georgia week. <laughs> well, the, the fan base thanks you, Dave. You've gotten that multiple times for uh, for starting that narrative. I'm not sure you're all that proud of it, but we we find it entertaining at least in terms of where we were, where we're at now. And uh, look, it's it's nice to be getting these guys coming. And obviously, if if uh, you know with Kearney coming into the fold, McLean potentially next. Um, looks like Florida's going to pick up some good ones. And, uh, you know, I, I think, like you said, Ben, we, we may see the need for some of those big-time recruits coming up this weekend. 
Yeah, and uh, what one thing that's in common with what the top five teams in the country right now is recruiting classes for for people that be thinking, oh, you don't need the talent. Okay, tell Alabama that, tell Georgia that, tell Ohio State that. You know, tell the team, tell Clemson that, because it makes your scheme easier to run. If I got the best players running it, I don't got to be the best coach teaching it. And I know, and I, you know, I still think that uh, a guy like um, Billy Napier is always going to get the short end of the stick because he's coming from Louisiana, making all this money at Florida. But give it some time, man. We, it, it seems to be working. Long as the other two teams in the state of Florida not getting them, I will take every last one of them. Hey, that was a big one from this. Roger Kearney flips from Florida State to Florida. So while you hurt, while you help your own team, you hurt a big time rival out west. So plenty to get into here uh, on on this episode. We'll start with Ben Troop. We'll start with some Florida Georgia talk, and then we'll get into all the recruiting talk uh, as well. I know uh, Ben's got just just a few minutes with us, and really special thing going on that he's got going on Friday night before Florida Georgia, uh, an event that he's got uh, taking place up there. Uh, up in Georgia, not 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 far across the state line, so it's worth uh, making that drive. But before we get there, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you're watching us live on YouTube, like I know so many of you are right now. Subscribe, get those notifications, those likes really, really help us out uh, on the YouTube side of things, and check us out. Gators Breakdown Plus, that conversation keeps going there. Link is in the description. Uh, all of the conversation. Oh, look, it, it is on fire right now. If, if Gators Breakdown fans aren't watching this episode of Gators Breakdown, they're probably in the Gators Breakdown Discord uh, <laughs> talking about all the commitments and uh, the big game coming up uh, this week. So, all right, Ben, let's start with you. And get to this uh, event here. The fourth annual uh, Ben Troop Florida Georgia Legend Series takes place Jekyll Island up in Georgia. Like I said, not a far drive. If you're going to be in town for Florida Georgia, just a short drive up 95 uh, to take part in this uh, um, uh, in this event. And you got uh, for the Florida side, of course. That's our main audience here, man. You got some big time Gators on this one. Yeah, you know, Georgia coming off that national championship, man, I had to bring in some heavy hitters. I appreciate those guys uh, showing me some love. Uh, Chris Rainey, Jeff. I actually called Chris Rainey to ask him. And it's a funny thing, man, being former Florida Gay, we never talked to each other. Like, I, we know of each other. Chris Rainey spoke to me like we, we've we known each other for years. Him and Jeff Demps just happened to be really, really close friends. So, Jeff Demps, congratulations going into the University of Florida Athletic Hall of Fame, him and Joe Hayden and company. I got listen. I got to get my teammate that went into the Florida Georgia game Hall of Fame with me, Jeff. You know Jeff Chandler, the Golden Leg, and then you talk about Tim Worley from the Georgia side, DJ Jones, as well as Scott Williams. It's going to be fun. Uh, fourth annual at the Western Hotel on Jekyll. Uh, we're going to have the round table at six o'clock. Going to have a meet and greet at five o'clock. Going to have uh, some uh, you know local football teams and players coming over just to show some love, but. Because Georgia, we're going to be a lot of – we in red and black dog country. A lot of barking going on, Will and Dave. So I had to make sure I bring in a bunch of guys that won some national championships so I can kind of get them Georgia boys off my back a little bit. Well, that's always welcome. You know, it's their first one in forever. Uh, so, you know, they're going to enjoy it. And, hey, look. They 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 got us right now. That, that, that's yeah. the that, that's the bad thing about it. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, as we'll get to later, we'll talk about some recruits coming up, and maybe the years down the road, we can sit here and say, all right, well, Florida Georgia is going to be this constant top ten, top five matchup, uh, like we see all across the country in some of these big time rivalry games. Uh, ben, but what what made you want to start uh, an event like this? You mentioned you know, this is the fourth annual one. Uh, you, you've done it for a few years now. What's been the feedback, and and why do why do you keep doing it year after year? Well, uh, being a part of the media, uh, you know, Dave, I want to do something for us. A lot of times when I hear about events, I'm always getting invited to events. 
And uh, it just came across, you know, I, I was, I'm always asked, man, what do you know, what do you got, what do you former players do for each other, especially around the biggest game of the year, Florida, Georgia. And I just wanted to come up with something because a lot of these guys have played in the game, had tremendous success in the game, but I wanted to get the perspective of the other side. So I did the Florida, Georgia Legend Series. I've had some big time guests come through, a lot of people showing a lot of love throughout the years. I appreciate the Western Hotel, but it's a chance. For me to just show some appreciation to the guys that have come through the game, paved the way for the beautiful game it is now. And it's been it's been incredible. It's been very, very humbling because people seem to think that we're gonna come together and you know, we got to, it's gonna be fisticuffs, it's gonna be you got to bring the police in. I don't even know most of these guys on the Georgia side. It's it's all love. Um, we get the we don't have to play in the game, so it'll be a lot of trash talk going back and forth, but I've enjoyed the conversations because me being a tight end, my perspective is going to be different than a Chris Rain. It's going to be different than a John Lassinger. You know, I'm getting it from all facets of the game. And, uh, you know, I had Willie McClendon last year who won, you know, SEC player of the year when he was there. So just some very, very unique perspectives, very, very unique opportunities. And like I said, uh, 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 Paul, Paulie Walson was actually a receiver that played with Coach Spurrier. And let me tell you, man, that dude got to talking and, you know, you know, had a couple of alcoholic beverages, if I can say that. And it, it got really, really funny for the first annual. But here we are, the fourth annual, and I'm looking to grow it. And I, I hope it continues to go. Well, like I said, I couldn't appreciate Jekyll Island in the West and uh, seeing my vision and uh, allowing, you know, country boy like myself to be able to do something for these former players. Yeah, Ben, you know that that uh, you, you were you're from Georgia. I was raised in Georgia. This game yeah. means a whole lot to us uh, from a different perspective of, of of hating that red and black when it comes down to you know the last week of October and uh, early part of November. Uh, ben, right, let's get your thoughts right quick, and then you know Will can jump in. Florida sitting at four and three coming into this game, uh, not to where a lot of people want the Gators. Some expected because of the first year and the transition uh, that Billy Napier's going through that Florida might be sitting around this uh, spot uh, coming into this game. So you know, four and three with a chance to shock the world and go five and three, or like many expect uh, Florida to go four and four. So uh, still a lot riding on this game. Uh, of course, it always is uh, when these two teams match up. But uh, how would you assess Florida so far this year, sitting at four and three? I think I think it's progress. When you look at how well Tennessee is playing right now, being undefeated, a lot of people are going to say, you know, you go back to our SEC media days. People had Florida pick, you know, third or third or fourth in the East. You look at uh, every game that Florida's played in, they've been in. I mean, yes, that 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 LSU loss is looking a lot more impressive when you look at what LSU did, you know, uh, you know, uh, a couple of days ago. And then when you think about what Tennessee is doing, obviously the Kentucky game got away from us. That Utah win is still a big win. That Missouri win is a big win. You are you are just it's it's it's, a, it's building blocks. Uh, it's a day by day, uh, practice by practice process. And I just like the fact that every game you are in every last game. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of what happened in those games. But four and three is not where you want to be. But people forget it's a rebuild because of where it is. University of Florida is going through a rebuild. They've had some really really good ups. They had some downs. But I'll take the four and three. Like you said, Dave, if if, you know, the, the, the football guys all come together and say, hey, man, we're going to just give Florida this one this year <laughs> just so we, just so Georgia don't go undefeated in the regular season two years in a row, even though Tennessee is still down the line for Georgia. I just I, I like what Billy Napier is doing. I like the direction. Patrick Tony and, you know, uh, you know, Corey Raymond. I mean, uh, you know, Sean Spencer, Mike Peterson. I, I just like what they're doing, establishing the run. But at the end of the day, it, you are what your record says you are, even though I think we played a lot better than people thought we would at this point. Got to go out there and uh, finish the season strong, and you got a big one starting this Saturday against them boys from Athens. Yeah, well, Ben, I mean, so 
obviously the defense has been sort of the lightning rod, especially after that LSU game and the Tennessee game as well. But, you know, really, it feels like the defense really struggled to make anybody uncomfortable, right? Especially when it comes to Hennon Hooker, when it comes to Jaden Daniels. I'm just sort of curious, what did defenses do to you to make you uncomfortable? Or what did you not like when defenses did to you? Because obviously Georgia has some tight ends as well. So what what would you advise the Florida defense to do to make Georgia uncomfortable when they're trying to when they're trying to come up against the defense? Because as of right now, they really haven't been able to do anything to make these sort of elite teams or not even really elite teams, you know, decent SEC teams feel uncomfortable. Number one, they got to play with confidence. Uh, you know, third and third and third and long when I played was third and eight, third and nine, maybe third and twelve. You can't give up third and 26, third and 27, because even the offense is ready to get off the field. They're gonna run a draw, they're gonna run a quick a quick throw to get off the field. And I think the thing about our defense is they sometimes they be right there to make the play. DB's got to be got to be for sure tacklers on the outside. Ventura Miller can't be having 15 and 20 tackles a game. That means that he's a one-man wrecking crew. Brent, Brent Cox and that Javon Dexter and a Prince and those guys, they got to find a way to get to the quarterback consistently so that that so that, that back four, that back seven can work. And you know, I mean, as far as like the safety position this year, I just don't, I really, really don't understand it. I know there's been a change. Um, at the safety position right now, but they got to play with confidence. They got to play with poise because if I if I can play with confidence and poise, I could just go out there and react. And as far as like Brock Bowers, uh, the tight end for Georgia, look, bang him, bang him, and bang him some more. I rather you, I rather you risk taking the guy away off our defense so that he because he can't hurt you. Because I don't, I like Darnell Washington, but I mean he'll make a play here or play there. A guy like Brock Bowers, man, I mean he can take the top off any defense. I do not know how fast he is. I just know that people do not catch him when he gets the ball in his hands. <laughs> do not let that guy be a game record because, like I said, I mean coming here, I mean true freshman, I mean a true sophomore. Um, my apologies, and I think a guy like him could be a game breaker because they give him, the, and, and you got to stop him running the ball. I, hopefully they're not doing that anymore. They was giving him the rock. Just letting them run. Hopefully they just throwing him the ball, letting them kind of look like a you know a semi not you know superhuman out there. But find, gotta find a way to slow down Brock Bowers because if you can, I think you force other guys on the outside to, to try to beat you. Ben, you are in Georgia up there, uh, you know, but mainly in Brunswick. But the uh, the the ESPN Coastal broadcast, you know, all throughout the the coastal of Georgia and then southeast Georgia. So you cover a lot of Georgia football as well. Um, what is your assessment of them? I asked your assessment of, uh, of Florida, but with your assessment of Georgia coming off that national championship, of course, Stetson Bennett returns, lit the world on fire to start this year, cooled off a little bit, but still playing really well. But he was playing at such a high level to start the season. Um, it was probably going to be hard to match that. And then the defense, of course, one of the best college football's best defenses we ever saw last year, lose some pieces. Probably not there, but still a really, really good defense. Number one team in the country uh, when they play Florida on Saturday. How do you how do you assess that red and black? Stetson Bennett is probably the best decision uh, he's made is coming back last year. I mean, coming back this year because he's comfortable. I mean, been in the offense, what, now three years? Is in a room full of five stars and it hasn't phased him. He's never, ever going to look the part. And when I say look the part, I'm talking about his size. Not the biggest guy you've ever seen. But I think his game is being elevated. I think he's he's playing with a big time chip on his shoulder because we've never seen the encore. I mean, everybody been waiting on the feast presentation that being the national championship. They finally got that now. What is going to be the encore? And I think you said the best day when you think about this defense. Don't get a lot of sack numbers. Like don't get mm-hmm. a, don't 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 uh, actually uh, sack the quarterback a lot. But you couldn't tell because they do everything by committee. Meaning that front four led by Carter and those guys. And you know when you look at what they want to want to do. They find a way to get 
find a way to make the uh, quarterback very, very uncomfortable. And if you make a mistake with that secondary, they will, they will hurt you. And as far as like the offense, they just do it. They just do whatever's working that day. I mean, the running game has not been what we've used to a Kirby smart team to look like, but the scoreboard doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to show that because at the end of the games, it'll be 10 to zero going into the, going into the, uh, going to halftime. Next thing you know, it's 30 to zero or, and they used to playing with leads. So this Georgia team, they confident, Right. They they respect everybody they play, but they say this, Missouri, you had a chance to beat us till we got to the fourth quarter. So, yeah, we'll look regular for three quarters. And then when they turn it on, can you deal with it when they come at you? And I think for this Georgia team, they understand that Kirby Smart knows, look, man, I'm a hundred million dollar uh, head coach. I'm coming off a national championship. I, I And they said we will not be the hunter this year. We will be the hunters. And they seem to be doing it. What? They, they're undefeated right now. and They're going to give you all you can handle for four quarters. Uh, I mean, you know, you talked about Georgia's defense being opportunistic, going to get turnovers. Certainly, Anthony Richardson struggled with that a little bit on the offensive side of the ball there for Florida. Um, what do you see with him in terms of what he's doing and the next step he needs to take to make sure that this doesn't turn into a similar game than last year, right? I mean, the, the game was pretty close last year until all of a sudden Richardson had those three turnovers at the end of the first half. So is there something that Gator fans should be looking at when they're looking at how Richardson plays, especially early on, to to be confident that we're not going to get non-core performance? Or is that just sort of the risk-reward with Richardson right now? And, you know, maybe you get a game with no turnovers and you're able to keep it close, or maybe you get a game with four and all of a sudden it's blown wide open. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can live with the turnovers as long as it doesn't lead to points. And I think the thing about Anthony Richardson is he got to keep taking the next step as a passer. You know what he is as a runner. I mean, the thing about him, when people go, oh, man, he had an 81-yard scramble for a touchdown. People, running backs don't do that. You don't take the ball 81 yards in football ever, ever. I think the thing about Anthony Richardson is can he can he go through his reads? Can he can he get the best matchup? You know, in the, if it's not there, throw it away. Can he not? Can he not put us put us behind the chains the third down? And can he? And can he listen? And can he be Superman when he needs to be? I mean, I do think that what the what the what the game of football is going to is a guy like Anthony Richardson, a guy with a big arm that obviously is very very athletic. But athleticism can be your biggest hindrance when that's all you rely on. Can't rely on athleticism every single play because you're not more athletic than 11 guys on that Georgia defense. As great as you are, you got 11 guys that want nothing more for you to pull that ball down so they can try to take you out of the game. Protect himself. Protect the football. Keep us ahead of the chains on third down. And like I said, whenever he wants to show the world what he's able to do, hey, man, tuck it and run it and make sure you get out of bounds. But when it comes to shorter, when it comes to Whittemore, when it comes to Pearsall, when it comes to zipping those guys, find a way to let your athletes go out there and make plays. I think if he can do that, especially with this running game that we got, because think about that, Florida's coming in with a much better running game, utilize the running game with Osiris Torrance and Montreal and, and Etienne. I think he's got a shot because I, I've seen him get better each week. And like I said, he gave you 35 points against uh, – you know, against the LSU team that is proven to be much better than people thought. But this Georgia team, they got they don't believe it yet. They've seen this other stuff, but they they judging Anthony Richardson on what they've seen this year and what they saw last year. He's got to go out there and prove he is what his athleticism says he is. 
Ben, you mentioned uh, one of those players. And uh, how much have you paid attention straight to the tight end position this year? Mostly for Florida, it's been Dante Xanders and it's been Keon Zipperer. Zipper was one of the plays of the year so far with the catch and run and demolishing Tennessee Volunteers on the way to the end zone. Uh, what have you noticed from the tight end position and how Billy Napier uses that position? I've noticed those guys are finding ways uh, to be a vocal, uh, uh, a very, very uh, you know, uh, important part of the offense game in the game out. People look at how athletic these guys are, but you got to go out there and show it. I mean, Zip, the, the touchdown against uh, Tennessee was like Zip saying, look, I might not get too many more opportunities this whole year, and, but I think that when you see what he's able to him and him and Xanders, and I think the thing about the, the tight end position is it's a focal point when you make it that. You prove it Monday through Saturday. I mean, Monday through Friday, and hopefully you get to show it on Saturday. I mean, I, I get I, I don't know who's the who's – the, I think Pearsall is the best route runner, and obviously him and Shorter and company, but tight ends are intermediate route runners. You guys are going up against linebackers and safeties. I mean, they should be able to go out there and make some plays. And while I do think Zipper is the most athletic of the bunch – Xanders is more of the more of the uh, prototypical tight end with what he does blocking. I think those guys can have, they had a big game last year with uh I mean they had a big game a couple of years ago. I'm sorry, uh, you know uh, when Kyle Pitts got knocked out of the game. Mm-hmm. Can those guys, you know, you know be a be a spark, you know, for this offense? Like I said, you're gonna have to throw the football. You're gonna have to go with the best matchup. I think our tight ends they just as good as anybody. Plus. This could be one of those games. If I am on that, if I am a Florida tight end, I'm looking at that other sideline. I know Brock Bowers, and I know you know Darnell watching those guys on the other sideline. I want to outperform those guys, especially when all, the whole world is going to be looking for them Georgia tight ends to kind of be the focal point. Well, I mean, you sort of mentioned looking at the other side, seeing Bowers, that sort of stuff. How much, as an offense, when you know your defense is struggling? Do you take it upon yourself? Like, is it something that motivates you, or is it something where you can actually end up pressing and it causes problems because you know that the defense is going to struggle to stop the other team? I mean, we've seen a couple of times, the Tennessee game especially, right? You get that turnover by Anthony Richardson, game basically over. And so you're sort of sitting on that razor's edge where you make one mistake and the game's over. Does that add extra pressure, or is that something that you think sort of makes makes guys like you and guys like the guys on the Florida squad rise up to be able to meet that challenge? You would hope so. You would hope so because, look, we know what we are at this point. We know we are as offense, know we are as defense, but the offense should want to be leading the way. And when I say leading the way, that way the defense can go out there and play loose. And, and, and we don't know what type of team Georgia is, but they got to play from behind. We know what type of team they are because they usually playing with a lead. So if you are the offense, let's go out there and put four quarters together. Let's go up against arguably one of the best defenses in college football and not blink. So, yeah, I mean, going back to my uh, my junior year, the reason why we had the game we had and, and the game with the touchdown pass, I appreciate it, is because Taylor Jacobs got hurt. And then him and Rex Grossman were the, were the one-two combo that year. So me and, you know, Carlos Perez and Kelvin Kite and Aaron Walker, we was able to go out there and help, you know, spread the ball around. I think it's going to be that type of game, and that's what you want. I'm at the University of Florida, man, because I'm good enough to go out there and make plays whenever my number's called, regardless of who I go up against. I mean, that ain't Ed Reed over there. You know, that ain't, I mean, that ain't Sean Taylor at the safety position. That ain't, you know, uh, Patrick Willis at the linebacker position. Take nothing away from the Georgia defense. They're great. But that ain't Jordan Davis. That ain't Kobe Dean. That defense in 2021, you're not moving the ball against them. While Georgia's good this year, they showed, they showed, they, you know, they showed that they are, you know, kind of human. And you can, you got to go out there and punch these guys in the mouth because they're going to punch back. And, and, man, hopefully we'll be the last team standing. Will, you got anything else? No, man, just really appreciate you coming on, Ben. Hope, mm-hmm. hope your event goes really well. If I, if I was anywhere near, I'd be down there, buddy. 
Hey, it should, it should it should go well. At the end of the day, you know, I'm used to getting barked at. You know, they barking all the time <laughs> at me. You know, and they, Dave knows. But listen, Chris Rainey, Jeff Demps, trash talkers, because Jeff Chandler's more mild mannered. So, you know, some of my family members gonna be in the house. So I'm, I'm gonna have to tell them, listen, y'all calm that down. The police will be somewhere, you know, in the square if it gets too crazy. But no, it, it should be fun. I I think the thing about it is it's just me trying to show appreciation to these former players and. Like I said, man, because Georgia coming off that national championship, I had to have some Florida Gators with some rings on their finger. I think Chris Rainey and Jeff Dimps gonna have, you know, gonna be able to rep for us in a big way. Ben, one more just time. Make sure you uh, remind, just make sure you remind them that they're SEC runner-ups last year, buddy. You gotta <laughs> let them know that. Yeah, you can't. You got. I can call them national champs, but you can't call them SEC champs. Like Will says, SEC runner-up. That's about, that's about what we can throw at them. <laughs> uh, ben, let everybody know one more time the details uh, for for Friday night. Yeah, the uh, fourth annual Florida Georgia Legend Series uh, held at the Western Hotel on Jekyll Island. You can always go to Christian at ESPNCoastal.com or Ben at ESPNCoastal.com if you need more information. It is a free event. You do have to pay to get on Jekyll Island because it is a national park. I don't know why it's like that. That's just how it is. But, I mean, we're going to be by the water. We're going to be inside. The weather's supposed to be nice. And, like I said, wear as much orange and blue as you can because we're trying to drown out all that red and black. Because I know it's going to be a lot of it uh, come come Friday. Uh, ben, one more, because I, I I did this with you last year, I think. All right, Billy Napier's going to come to you. You give this team a pregame speech. Give it to me. Man, I'm going to look at those guys and tell them, listen, guys, at the end of the day, the best place to be is when no one expects you to do anything. The best place to be is when hey, we in here with them and lock the door. Make sure we stare those guys in the face. Make sure we let those guys know, hey, man, y'all new to this. We true to this. Y'all happy to be here. We know we we belong here. Y'all are a team that finally got over the hump. We a team that everybody expecting us to go out there, you know, and lay an egg. We don't lay eggs, man. We are the University of Florida for a reason. We here for a reason. We run Jacksonville. It doesn't matter how you guys feel about it. I know you guys seem to think it's a home game, but guess what? We got a hell of a coach right there, man. We got a hell of a fan base. We got a hell of a squad. We gonna have a hell of an effort. Welcome to hell. Give them hell. Go Gators. Go Gators. <laughs> I like it. Hey, Ben, one more time. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Florida, Georgia. It, it, it's our weekend special to us, even though, you know, it's not, oh, look, yeah. it's not looking too all bright, right. but it, it, it always holds a special place in our heart. Yes, I'm not making no bets in this game because I will not be wearing <laughs> no Georgia stuff. So all my Georgia <laughs> friends, stop calling my phone. I'm not, I'm not betting. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't take those bets either, Ben. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, man. All right, good stuff there. Uh, man, he always brings it, Will. Oh, man. It, it, I said it last time we had him on. I'll say it again. Like, you just want to run through a wall after you hear that guy talk about this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's always good to see the former Florida players out there for this game specifically, right? This is the one that I think means the most to to just about everybody. I mean, obviously, Florida State game means a lot to people. Tennessee game means a lot to people. Um, but the Georgia game is the one that I think we all point to and say um, – yeah, you know, we just we don't want to deal with them barking at us all the time. I mean, you know, it's it's fun to tell them that barking is a poor life decision after you get a win. That that's <laughs> you know it's much better that way. So uh, yeah, man. Like I said, anybody in that area, I'd be there if I could be. But uh, you know, the kids. I'll blame the kids. Yeah, blame the kids. <laughs> uh, all right, hey, we got a commit to talk about. But before we do, hey, we got a we 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 got we got, we got plenty to talk about. Uh, with yeah, with, with commits. Hopefully, upcoming commits. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, plenty, plenty to get into uh, on that. But before we do, plenty of college football, plenty of NFL, other sports going on as well. My bookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all of your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. You can bet on the NFL, college football, the World Series is coming up and play for a big share of cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments. If you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action, that time is now. Make your winning move today. Sign up at MyBookie, use promo code GATERS, and claim your deposit match of any amount up to 1000 bucks. Again, that is promo code GATERS to claim your bonus. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. All right, good news. Breaking it about an hour before we came on Gators Breakdown. Just preparing for just some normal episode, Will. You know, we were going to look at recruiting a little bit, but hey, you won't hear me complain. Big time commit. Let's get it started. Gator Nation, you know what it is. We got to commit, and it is big time offensive lineman out of Orange Park, flipping him from Florida State, Roderick Kearney. He is a four-star on the 24-7 sports composite. He is a four-star on the own three consensus. He is the 123rd overall player on the 24-7 sports composite and the fourth-ranked interior offensive lineman. On three consensus, he is the 136th overall player and the ninth-ranked interior offensive lineman well he was on campus yesterday yesterday all those pictures and stuff that were in the uh, commitment photo hey this was uh this one i was originally told probably was not going to happen this fast but uh he was on campus over the weekend uh of course probably just updating those photos getting those graphics out there uh and, and popping for the gators flipping from florida state as i said back in june look remember that story he visited florida and about 30 minutes after leaving campus, he commits to Florida State. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, man, no, here we, here we go. Uh, that, 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 that doesn't look good. But here we are in October to kick off Florida Georgia Week. I mean, you know, this might have been planned, I guess, a little bit uh, uh, with another big commitment, hopefully on the way Thursday. But as I said, you know, we were going to talk a little bit of recruiting with the big commitment of Cormani McLean coming up uh, and his decision coming up Thursday but the Gators get it started, Will, with a big-time commit right here at a place of need. Uh, we talk about um, you know, a, a talent infusion. Well, one position that needed it, not just numbers, but to raise the talent level was offensive line. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I think you can actually say that about offense in terms of uh, yeah. recruiting the whole way across the board, right? I mean, you look at the board right now, 
And, you know, the top 10 guys, eight of them, until Kearney committed, were on the defensive side of the ball. Now, obviously, you look at the defense over the last few weeks and say, well, maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, our, our friend Bill Sykes, he's been in the chat here tonight. If you want to hear his – or if you want to see his thoughts, you can go back and look at the comments. But uh, uh, I got you know, some. He, he gave me something to share, Will, so I will, oh, I will share it. Yep. But he's been on this for a really long time. He wrote a great article for Read Reaction maybe six months ago about offensive line recruiting, bringing in offensive linemen. And, you know, having elite tackles is a huge part of having an effective offensive line. But in some ways, just having numbers is a big part of having good offensive lines. And that was one of the things he looked at was Georgia and Alabama and and really Clemson and those programs just tended to almost always bring in four offensive linemen in every class. And you looked at the attrition and the programs had attrition, but they could deal with it because they had numbers. And so now you've got Kearney here, again, the 123rd ranked player overall, but you've also got Nigel Harris, who's an interior offensive lineman, ranked 425. So now you got two guys on that interior offensive line. You got Bryce Lovett at offensive tackle there at 635. If they can bring in a good to elite tackle at this point, now you're talking about an offensive line class that meets a lot of those specifications and metrics that Bill talked about in that article a while back. And now you're really looking at building that foundation. So what you don't want to do is sign seven offensive linemen this year and then two next year and then two the year after that and then have to go back out there and get seven. You just want to kind of have the consistent thing every year, a drumbeat of four guys. So they got three in this class right now, which means they need one more. And who that fourth one is, I think, will color what we think about the overall recruiting class. But you don't get to an elite offensive line recruiting class without having a guy like Kearney in the fold. And now we'll see what they can do beyond that. Yep, you brought him up. Uh, yeah, and he 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 was actually texting me <laughs> right when we started this episode. So uh, already, Bill's thoughts. He put him on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. Uh, if you didn't know, Bill's on the. He's not on Twitter anymore. Uh, he's on the message boards every now and then, but he's very active on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. So if you miss Bill Sykes, you can get him right there on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord a good bit. Uh, but he says, let's talk about why the Kearney flip to Florida is awesome. Kearney's commitment is a sign of life at Florida's longest-running position of trouble. Y'all know I've written about this, but offensive line recruiting has been problematic for Florida dating back to the Meyer era. While there is still much work to be done there, think of Kearney as the first heartbeat of a patient who just got defib from a cardiac arrest. (laughs) Uh, He says, did you know that Kearney is the first Florida offensive line prospect ranked at the top 10 of his position since Richard Garage in the class of 2018. That was five classes ago. First offensive line prospect ranked at the top 10 at his position since Richard Garage in 2018. Shockingly, he's only the ninth such prospect in the past 14 classes, but six of the previous eight were signed by 2015. As a fourth-best interior offensive lineman prospect nationally, however, Kearney is an even more exclusive company. So much so that he will only be the fourth offensive lineman ranked in the positional top five to sign at Florida since 2010. The Gators simply have not landed a guy like this in recent years, and they've paid the price. With a lot of resources tied to this position, Napier has to get better results recruiting the offensive line. They especially need more at offensive tackle, But Kearney is the kind of guy we need to see, and he's a great start to what I hope is a full renaissance at the position group. That is from one Bill Sykes. Boy, that that is about as 
energetic and optimistic as you'll hear bill sykes he is uh i I love bill but he's usually in my ear telling me things aren't good enough and quite honestly in the in the McElwain and and molinaris he was absolutely correct and he texted me today he was really he's ready to pump some sunshine will so there we go there's the first bit of sunshine from, from from bill sykes well i mean i think it's it's more than just that right i mean it's it's we all I think the crystal bar, balls have been flowing our way for when it comes to Kermani McLean, at least on 24-7. You start thinking about bringing in a guy like that. If they can bring in a guy of that caliber, all of a sudden you start looking at the overall recruit ranking. And you think about recruiting, and it's sort of tiers, right? You've got Alabama and Georgia who are up there in that 93-94 tier. Then you come down, you got Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Texas who are in that 92-93 tier. And LSU's there as well. Florida, if they can bring with Kearney committing, and then if they can bring in uh, Kermani McLean, now they're in that 92 to 93 tier. So it's not that top tier, Georgia and Alabama, but it's in the next step down in that next tier. And you can't get to that first tier without going through the first one and uh, or without going through the second one. And so they're they're in the process of doing that. And when you look at a team like Oregon, they're at 90.82, Tennessee, 90.62, Penn State, 91.18, USC, 91.06. So from the, a quality of player perspective, Florida is taking a step up. And I think that's what everybody's getting excited about. Now, you know, look, you got to finish off the job. You got to get, you know, just and, because you got to second even said tier that, doesn't mean you don't want to be in the first. Right. Like, and Napier even said that today, Will. He was asked about recruiting during football season, for God's sakes. And uh, he actually will talk about it a little bit. Uh, but even said, hey, look, everything looks good right now, but we have to finish. And he, look, he may have even known this was coming seven hours later <laughs> when the when, when the Roger Kearney commits. But as he said, you know, as we said, we'll, we'll get to Cormonti McLean in just a second too. But look, he even admits that yeah, it looks good. Um, you know, we're 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 excited, but yeah, we're at a point now with about what two months, about a month and a half to go. That yeah, now it's time to finish. It's just like anything, right? One recruit doesn't make or break your class, but you start you start chaining these recruits together and it tells a story about what about what Napier's doing about what Patrick Tony's doing right I mean one I had an article on Reading Reaction today uh, it was pr- pretty popular actually and and the, the take home from that was look like if you're looking for qualities of a defensive coordinator yeah it's important if he can call the right defense and it's important if he can get his players in the right position the most important thing is can he recruit because <laughs> you need guys out there who can just make up for mistakes right who when they take a wrong angle can get to the right spot and all those sorts of things and that's true on the offensive line that's true on the defensive line and so look Roger Kearney is a major step forward in terms of quality on the offensive line you read off those stats that Bill had about you know the the highest ranked offensive lineman that they've had since, since Martez Ivy or something like that you know you had Isaiah Walker come in and lasted like uh, spring camp right or not even through the spring camp um, so you had a lot of those sorts of things going on Obviously, he has to stick, he has to come in, he has to sign, and he has to be effective and you have to develop him. Those sorts of things are in place. But one of the things, and I said this after uh, after Napier went for two against Tennessee, you can argue with whether he should have gone for two or not. But one thing you can't argue about is that he had thought out what he was going to do before that actually happened. And so, um, you know, we've been yelling and yelling and yelling for years, you, I, and Bill, about process, right? That it's important that the appropriate processes are in place to then deliver the results downstream. And I think what we've seen with this recent run of commits, what we see with Kearney flipping from from Florida State, what we've seen with just needing one more offensive line to sort of fill out this class, and what we've seen with some of the stuff on the field, not all of it, but some of the stuff on the field, 
is that there is a process in place. Now, there may be some adjustments that need to be made in that process, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. But in terms of the fact that there is a process, there is a plan, there is a chaining together of things to build to something bigger, I think we can be pretty confident that at least compared to the Dan Mullen era, uh, Billy Napier's a step up. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, Bill has even more thoughts on the recruiting channel on Gators Breakdown Plus uh, Discord as well. So uh, definitely head over there uh, if you want more. Um, Good stuff there. Uh, Of course, something I was going to bring up too um, is, of course, the recruiting in the Jacksonville area is so much better. And that's good for me, too, because I'm a lot closer to these guys. So it means a lot for Channel 4, where I work, and we get to cover these guys even more. Uh, so it, uh, it's, uh, it works. It works hand-in-hand. Hand. So I like seeing uh, these guys uh, in, the, in, the, in the 904 uh, head down to Gainesville. But, uh, Will, here we are. Uh, 24-7 Sports' Andrew Ivins offers this analysis of Kearney is a mauler up front that's able to create plenty of push with his glutes looks to part a six foot four 300 pounds has spent the past few years working in a run heavy spread attack that asks its tackles to pull and get outside the hashes a lot is quick to find and take advantage of leverage will latch onto a defender and pump his legs as he steers them out of the way not one to give up on the block and is going to do whatever he can to pass to to put a pass rusher's face mask in the dirt, showed on tape as a junior that he can get to the second level better than most at his age, hasn't been asked to pass protect much, but has a serviceable kick step and wins more times than not on Friday nights by getting his big 10-inch hands where they need to be. A bit tight in the hips, but testing data shows he moves well laterally, still far from a complete product, and will need time to get adjusted to the play speed at the college football's highest levels, but has built but has the build to morph into a multi-year starter for a top 25 program with some seasoning and proper coaching, could possibly get the job done at right tackle in the right scheme, but most likely going to find the most success at one of the guard spots or even possibly a center, a potential NFL draft pick one day if he keeps progressing. On three offers this, flashes the athleticism of a dominant guard that plays with a mean streak, added over 40 pounds between the sophomore and junior offseasons, possesses a dense build with necessary frame to carry more than, than sufficient weight in college. Initial burst and overall athleticism flashes off the screen, looks to finish defenders down and down out, and plays angry. Need to see more work in pass protection, but has a foot speed and overall athleticism to hone the craft. Plays right tackle on film, but projects to kick inside at the next level due to his girth and ability to move people with ease. So yeah, that is the thing at Orange Park. Played in that run-heavy offense. Does play tackle there, but as you heard, will fit mostly inside right here in college. So, all right, Will, here we go. 22 commits for the Gators right now. Puts them at the eighth-ranked class in the 24-7 sports composite. He is the 17th commit from the state of Florida. Fourth in the immediate, now, yeah, fourth in the immediate Jacksonville area, and five if you want to stretch it all the way to Lake City. So, one area 
of Florida that we needed to hit better, especially this cycle, Florida hit. Uh, and we'll really concentrate in, in the state of Florida. And you've, you've mentioned it, that range right there, there's plenty of prospects, Florida, especially this cycle. I mean, there was a lot of uh, – a lot of – look, we detailed it as soon as Napier was hired and after his first uh, transition class – we, you and I really dove into this bump class, and a lot of the top five at the positions was within driving range of Gainesville. Billy Napier doing a pretty good job so far there. Yeah, I mean, look, the the circle around Gainesville has been leaky for a really long time. And, you know, anybody that Kirby Smart wanted, anybody that Nick Saban wanted, and anybody that Dabo Swinney wanted, and heck, even Urban Meyer and Ryan Day up at Ohio State, anybody they wanted in the state of Florida, pretty much they came in and just sort of pillaged. And, and you'd look up and you'd be like, all right, Miami got one guy from the state of Florida in the top 300, and Florida got one or two guys, and Florida State got one or two guys, and everybody else was going someplace else. And that is starting to change. Now, it's not perfect, right? I mean, there's still guys from the state that we would have liked to have seen stay home, but we're starting to see a significant inroads there. And I think we saw it early on, not just with IMG, but Billy Napier made some real efforts. I know that one of the guys, I think maybe reached out to you, but I know he commented on something I had. There, there was a presentation that Napier gave and oh, basically yeah. brought his entire staff to a high school seminar and, and, made sure that his staff was involved, that they were getting to know the high school coaches, those sorts of things. And the comment from the guy who runs the thing was, you know, none of the Florida coaches before this did that. And so making those connections with the high school coaches, building those relationships, again, that speaks to the same process that I was talking about earlier. And then it helps when you're bringing in, you know, I mean, look, this is now 14 top 300 guys that are in this class. They've got three in the top 100, but then there's another six who and Kearney is one of those who are ranked between 100 and 200. So, you know, you're looking at nine guys who are top 200 recruits with the potential to add one or two guys who are really the elite type prospects that can really change a class and shape a class. So there's an opportunity here to, you know, like I said, I think it's going to be rough to jump into that top tier. It's just Florida or it's just Alabama and Georgia right now. But if you can start working your way towards the top of that second tier, then that sets sets the stage. And obviously, you know, Ben mentioned the Ben mentioned I think maybe before we came on about Ernest Gramson, who's coming there in that 2024 class, is so certainly off to a fast start there as well. And and uh, you know, this sort of sets the stage for what might be coming in 2024 as well. Ooh, now that sets the stage, Will. For big for a big Thursday coming up, one of the top players in the country, one of the top cornerbacks, of course. If he's one of the top players in the country, he's one of the top cornerbacks in the country, of course. Uh, but Cormani McLean, that decision coming Thursday. I mean, there's need to really hide behind it. Most think he will choose Florida on Thursday. Florida, Alabama seem to be the top two. Uh, you heard Corey Bender and I from On3 discuss it last week. Uh, we've discussed this one. This was the one, Will, that was the can't miss coming into the class. You know, the, 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 the connection, being in the state of Florida, being one of the top prospects in the state of Florida, one of the top prospects in the country, you brought Corey Raymond in to win battles like this. Cormani McLean, look, and look, Florida's had no issues getting DBs, but they've had trouble developing DBs, and they've had trouble getting the, 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 the type we expected at a high number, at a high pace. This is going to be a really good defensive back class for Florida. It, it already is. But, Will, you've got to take that next step. You've got to get one Cormani McLean on Thursday. I mean, th this is – so last year, 
in the middle of the transition class or right at the end of the transition class when signing day came and they didn't get Harold Perkins, one of the things that I said was that that was what it really meant was that the jury was still out on Napier's ability to bring in the truly elite guys. Jury's still out. I mean, if you look at this class, I think this class is excellent, but the highest ranked guy is ranked 71st in the country. Cormani McLean is ranked second. <laughs> like, if you want to start talking about the truly elite prospects, the guys who, who are game changers, the guys who are going to come in and day one make a difference on your football team, McLean is a guy who can do that. So, you, you know, you read off that stuff about Kearney where it's like, hey, he's going to be a good player, but it requires development. He's going to be a good player, but you're going to need to move him from tackle to guard. Kermani McLean is a cover corner on the outside day one the minute he comes in. He's a first-round projection to the NFL right now based on the skill set he has. They're not saying you have to develop him. They're basically saying you have to you have to house him and take advantage of his skills for three years before he goes on to the NFL. Like that is <laughs> that is the projection for a guy like McLean. And look, I mean, I know Jason Marshall has struggled this year, but he played pretty well last year as a true freshman as the 29th ranked overall player in the country. Those guys are not can't miss. They're they're guys who miss maybe, you know, 30, 40% of the time. These guys who are ranked second overall, they end up in the NFL draft almost always unless there's an injury. And so, you know, you're getting a, a the McLean is a can't miss prospect from Lakeland, right? So again, that circle around the around Gainesville has to encompass Lakeland. And so you bring in a guy of that kind of quality. If McLean commits, it's a huge deal for Billy Napier. And quite honestly, if he doesn't, it's a huge deal for Billy Napier too, because this is certainly a guy that they want. It's a guy they've targeted. It's a guy who's in their backyard. And this is the guy that, that you know, when you, when you want to announce, hey, we're back and we're going to we're gonna make sure that guys in our state come to our school, these are the guys you're talking about. Yeah, he's been on Florida's campus. He's supposed to have been visit Alabama, has not made that trip. Thought that, okay, maybe in December, doesn't look like, I mean, the decision's coming this week. We'll see what that means for visits over it completely shuts it down. Uh, we'll see what that means for Kermani McClain. But as you will, as you said, Will, there's been a lot of boxes checked for Billy Napier in improving recruiting, but there is that one last box. I mean, probably two. is getting elite and then getting more elite. So that, 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 that's really the only two boxes left. As you said, there's been an improvement in the, in the, in the floor of recruiting that that's, not even up for debate. The floor of recruiting has been absolutely raised by Billy Napier and a lot of good prospects in this class. But really the, the question that still remains are the elites and you know elites. Yeah. I'm putting plural on that. Cause you know, we, we don't want Carmine McLean to, to, to be the only one of your, your top five, your top 10, your top of 25 players in the country. Uh, you're looking, and this is the, this is the one that has been marked that, 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 that is the camp miss. So yeah, a lot of boxes have been checked. We all laud Billy Napier for improving recruiting uh, since he's been the head coach at Florida, but this is the last remaining one. And look, I mean, we, we feel pretty good about it just uh, just a couple of days before that decision. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's important to look at both things, right? One is that you're not competing with Mullen and McElwain. And so just saying we're better than that doesn't mean you're going to win national championships or SEC championships. There are two big behemoths and really a third when you think about Texas A&M as well, though it hasn't really translated on the field there at the <laughs> station yet. But th there are those guys you're going to have to compete with in order to win big and win big the way Florida wants to win. So that's one. But two, if you do look back at the 2019 bump class, that class had 10 guys who were in the top 300, no five stars, 
and Chris Steele didn't make it through his first spring practice. And neither, and and Jalen Jones was the next guy at 306 who didn't make it through as well. So, you know, you're really looking at nine top 300 guys for that bump class who came in. Florida already has 14 with an opportunity to add Cormani McLean to make it 15 and McLean being that can't miss prospect that we're talking about. So from the standpoint of what you're saying in terms of where was Mullen in his second year of recruiting versus where is Napier in his second year of recruiting, it's not even close. Doesn't mean you don't have to take another step. Doesn't mean you don't have to move forward. Doesn't mean you don't have to maybe make sure that you're not getting heavy in one direction or the other. There's a lot of defensive linemen on in this class. They need a lot of defensive linemen <laughs> in this class based on what we've seen so far on the field. At the same time, we all remember the Will Muschamp era, or at least McIlwain when he took over, where they just didn't have any offensive linemen at all because they hadn't signed any offensive linemen at all. And so, you know, again, that's something that from a roster management perspective, we don't think about too much when we talk about points, when we talk about, you know, average player rating, those sorts of things. But we do need to start thinking about balance in some capacity as well as you sort of bring the program back to normal. Um, though, obviously, I think we understand why there would be an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball from a recruiting perspective right now. But so that's what I would say is from the standpoint of where the program sits versus where it was in 2019, you could look at that 2019 bump class and go, that's a problem. That's not good enough. That's like we're we're going to cap out somewhere unless the development and the in-game and the in-game management is just fantastic. And even then, I thought it was pretty good under Dan Mullen. It just wasn't good enough when you got into those games against against Alabama and Georgia. This gives you an opportunity now to have guys out there who can compete. Cormani McLean should be able to take on any receiver that any program is going to throw at Florida. And I'm not sure you've been able to say that. I think Kyrie Elam was very, very close to that. I think um, – you know, I think Jason Marshall has an opportunity to be close to that. I think a guy like McLean is going to have an opportunity to lock down anybody on the outside. And what does that mean? Well, all of a sudden it means you can do a lot of different things with all those simulated pressures and, and trying to trick the offense and trying to get more pressure and those sorts of things that right now you just can't do. And I would expect that with guys like McLean in, you know, all the all the criticism that we've seen of guys playing, you know, 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage on third and eight, that's going to start to go away as as these more gifted players come in. Yeah, so as I mentioned, Will, Florida at eighth right now in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Um, getting Cormani McLean would put Florida up to 279.93. See, this late in the cycle, you would think that would mean, okay, Florida might jump a spot or two. No, it keeps Florida at eighth <laughs> behind LSU. Uh, so that's kind of where it is right now. When you get this late into the process and you start getting the, as many commits, you know, for LSU's got 22 commits right now uh, as well with a higher player average. Um, you know, there, Texas, you know, you got LSU at 283.37, Texas at 284.71, Ohio State 285.13. I mean, you'd be right behind those teams, but. You know, if, I know a lot of people want to look at the rankings and say, you know, where, where would it take for Florida to get top five? Look, I didn't think top five was really going to be all that possible uh, when you start looking at, all right, is, is it going to come in and out-recruit Saban and Smart and Day and Jimbo right away? Well, might get, actually get Jimbo. <laughs> uh, Texas A&M class, uh, not anywhere near where it was last year, but – you get Kamani McLean, keeps Florida at eighth, right on the heels of LSU. But all these other teams are going to start adding commits at the same time. Florida will as well. You know, now it's just going to be about the the level of recruiting. But uh, will if Florida's going to push for that top five, I still don't think they get there. But you know, you go get a couple more five stars, maybe maybe you can make that push uh, for that top five spot. 
Well, I mean, look, I think there are there are a lot of different metrics you can look at, not just point total that point towards whether a recruiting class is going to be successful or not. And Correct. You know, we talk about top five classes because typically that implies something very specific, right, in terms of what you've done. But let's say so. And again, I'll go back to Bill. He wrote a great article for Reading Reaction probably three, four years ago where he was outlining what a bump class needs to have. And it was something like two point seven five stars. It was something like 17 blue chips. So four and five stars. It was a jump in the rankings of something like nine or ten spots. And there were all sorts of different things that you needed to do in order to have a successful bump class that eventually converted into an SEC championship. And, you know, Napier's going to hit a lot of those metrics. I don't know that he's going to hit every one of them. But you get a guy like Samson Okunlola, um, offensive mm-hmm. tackle in out of Massachusetts. You know, he's the 18th-ranked player overall. That's a guy who, if you put there with the, at, at offensive tackle with Kearney and the other guys we've mentioned earlier, all of a sudden now you look at that and go, that's a monster offensive line recruiting <laughs> class. We've already, we've already talked about Cormani McLean. Again, I don't have any inside information, but you've got guys like Keelan Keeley. You've got Desmond Ricks at IMG who just reclassified. You've got James Smith and Qua Russell from Montgomery, Alabama. Those guys are there. There's your the path. Is, yeah. The question is, can you bring them in, right? If Florida ends up with four or five-star guys at the end of this, they're going to be really close to a top-five class. The question is going to be, can they close the deal on all those guys? I think it's unlikely. I think, you know, you're, you're saying that as well, right? The other thing is, again, we're talking about tiers. Mm-hmm. So you can jump on a point total um, by signing, you know, 32 guys. Right. <laughs> is that the best thing for your roster? Or are you better off waiting and having 26 guys this year, 28 guys next year, but out of that 28 next year, you got four, five, six, five-star guys in that class. So those are the decisions, the roster management decisions are going to have to be made. Um, look, this isn't a perfect recruiting class. If it was perfect, it'd be sitting there at one or two. But I think we see enough progress, we see enough movement here that we can be excited about where Florida's headed on the recruiting trail. That was always the frustrating part about Mullen. His transition class in 2018 was the exact same rating as his class in 2019, was his exact same quality as 2020. Had lost hope. That is the the recruiting game, man. So, look, we're excited. It's – you're exactly right. We are excited because there's hope that Florida is going to be able to catch those teams they're chasing. And there's hope that these guys are going to be able to execute the schemes that are being put in place and cover up some of the holes that we see right now. And look, I get it. People sit there and go, well, these are four-star guys. These are guys who should be able to cover up those holes. But they weren't recruited by this staff. They weren't evaluated by this staff. And you know, they weren't very good in 2020, and they weren't real good in 2021 either, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so to expect them to come in and just change that, I think is a little bit misguided. Now, I'm not sure we all, I'm not sure any of us expected them to be this bad this year. But, uh, you know, hey, that is what it is, which means you got to look at that development. You got to look at that hope from the recruiting pipeline. And that's what we're seeing from all the guys who potentially could be Gators in this class. All right, there we go. We we're going to get into some Billy Napier and Tyreek Sapp and Anthony Richardson sound today. But Kearney committing, you know, we kind of split this up. We had been on for some Florida Georgia coverage to kick off this week. Will and I follow that up with with some recruiting. I'll save all that for uh, later this week. Probably we put that in the Georgia preview uh, later on this week. But well, we're we're talking recruiting during football season. What in the world? That's what happens when you're four and three, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and getting commit. Well, uh, both of those things. But, uh, we we all we all thank you for asking <laughs> the questions that needed to be asked last year and uh, setting us up to have hope here 
in in 2022 as as we're getting recruits in the middle of the season. I, it's been a while since that sort of stuff's happened. Yeah. So uh, this week, of course, uh, Florida Georgia preview on probably Wednesday. Uh, they're going to do some work on it on Tuesday. Florida Georgia preview on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> My prediction for that game is probably not going to be all too pretty, but you know, we'll see. We'll see uh, what 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 holds there. Uh, plenty of recruiting coming up on Thursday, of course. Hopefully, another extra episode this week talking about a commitment Thursday. So, don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, Will, but you know, come I on. I might want to come on for that one. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the big ones. One of the big ones uh, sitting right there. Uh, Will, you uh, released an article, uh, you and Nick both, uh, out there really detailing uh, the Florida defense. I know. It's been, as you said earlier, it's been the lightning rod topic. Billy Napier was asked about it a lot today uh, in the press conference. But what did uh, what did you and Nick come up with on Read and Reaction? Yeah, so Nick's got a, a running thing now on a weekly basis. He's doing something called Nuisance Notes that looks at um, sort of important important things going on in the program. So obviously he was looking at the defense, looking at essentially how many yards they've given up versus how many they could have given up. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not a pretty story. But <laughs> but it does say something about what the defense can be when, when they're actually doing what we think they should be doing. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be some limitations. So Nick Stewart took a look at that. And then mine was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Well, completely tongue-in-cheek. The title of the article is actually Time to Pull the Plug, and it's talking about Napier, Tony, and, and the Florida defense. Wait, 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 and, wait, wait, wait. Time to pull the plug with a question mark. Yeah, with a question mark. <laughs> but, uh, again, people get emotional. People start talking about it. People seven games in are saying, all right, Tony's a failure as a defensive coordinator. And what I wanted to look at was some, comp- was some comps of guys in the past. And so if you look at Nick Saban, his offense at Alabama, again, remember, Saban's a defensive guy, right? His offense at Alabama took a step back. If you look at Kirby Smart, his first year at Georgia, again, a defensive guy. His offense took a step back. So now you look at Florida, and you got Billy Napier, an offensive guy. His defense has taken a step back. And the question is, what happens in the second year for programs that historically have had that sort of thing for both those guys, but also guys who are not Saban or, or Smart, because you're not always going to get that guy, right? Do you see a bounce back? And then you know, what should we be looking for when it comes to that sort of stuff? And then, again, you know, we talked about recruiting tonight. I took a look at that, too, because Florida has a really, really good defensive recruiting class coming in. They've emphasized the defensive side of the ball, and I think it's important to recognize that Patrick Tony's a big part of that. And so looking at his scheme and saying, well, he hasn't taught the players who are here, the defense is bad, it's unacceptable, all those things may be true. But there's more to being a college coach, more to being a defensive coordinator than just did you get blown out by Hendon Hooker, who, by the way, just obliterated Alabama as well a couple of weeks ago, too. So, um, you know, look, the Florida defense has been bad this year. We know it's been bad. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. A lot of guys who don't necessarily know what they're doing, all the different things that we've cataloged. But I think it's important to maintain perspective. Again, you know. You, Florida may go out and get absolutely blown off the <laughs> blown off the field by by Georgia. That should not dictate what we think about Patrick Tony and Billy Napier. What we need to do is take a bigger, wider look and say, "All right, well, what happens when we look at programs that have built themselves in the right way?" And everybody points to Nick Saban lo- losing to Louisiana Monroe that first year, but the thing they don't really pay a whole lot of attention to is that he was in a lot of one score games 
And those one-score games turned into blowouts in year two, and all of a sudden they were competing for the SEC championship. And same thing with Kirby Smart. They were in a bunch of one-score games that first year he was there. And all of a sudden that next year, those one-score games turned into blowouts, and they were playing for the national championship there against Tua and, and Alabama. So there is an avenue where these one-score games are a good indicator. There's also an avenue where they're not a real good indicator because in year two, if you looked at Mullen and you looked at McIlwain, they were still playing those one-score games in year two. They weren't turning those into blowouts, and I think that's really one of the things we need to look for. So I'm not even sure I included that in the article, but that's that there to me go. is the thing we want. That to so, me is save, one of the save that one for the offseason content, Will. There you go, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what's going on. Then obviously we'll have a we'll have a Georgia preview up uh, both stand up and holler episode and a written preview for the Georgia game. Some film looking at um, specifically what in the world is Florida going to do with the tight ends because. Uh, you know, I, I hear what Ben's saying about uh, about have confidence and all that sort of stuff when you're on defense. But what did Missouri do when it no. came to shutting down Georgia's offense? I think that's the tape you have to look at. Beat them, you don't have the same players them up front. Does. They beat them up front. Yeah. But you know what? That means you're going to have to leave the secondary in, in some compromising situations. You're going to have to trust them to do it. Or you're going to back them off 30 yards, and you're going to give them a bunch of first downs on third down. you got to make the choice, right? And the interesting thing is, is that Billy Napier in that Tennessee game decided to go for it right from the start, right? Fourth down, he was up. He was going for it. Every fourth down, he decided that's what he needed to do. I'm really curious to see, and I think there are a couple of things that we can learn from that Missouri game to understand on the other side of the ball what's he going to have to do in order to uh, in order to do the same thing. Because, look, every game he's played has been within 10 points or, or seven, right, even the losses. And uh, this is a game where Florida, I think, is, what, three touchdown underdogs? So, is, uh, yeah, 20. That was going to be something we got into tonight, but uh, <laughs> we're running out of time here. But, yeah, it was uh, tw- uh, yeah, 22 and a half. Yeah, so this is one of those where, uh, you know, the the rubber's going to meet the road. Either Georgia's going to prove they're the superior team or Napier's going to be able to prove that he can keep these games close. And, you know, look, the, no moral victories in the SEC, obviously, but I think Anthony Richardson going out and having a good game against a Georgia team that just completely flummoxed him last year is is a significant W for Florida, even if it doesn't end up being a W on the field. Obviously, we hope it does, and 4-4, four and four, nobody's going to feel good about it. But uh, but this is a real challenge for this team, and I'm I'm interested to see how they're able to how they're able to take it on, and whether they embrace that challenge um, in in a way that's similar to the way they embrace the challenge against Tennessee. Well, I even have this thing, this weird thought too, and it could be true, and we won't really know. But you know, Florida could figure out some things during the bye week. They could actually play a good game on defense. They could actually play a more consistent good game on offense. But Georgia could go out there and play their best game of the year, and we would never know. <laughs> you know that's just that's kind of, that's kind of the team they are. Florida could actually be improved, have figured out some things. We may not be able to tell till they play against Texas A and M. That's just that, that that's how good this Georgia team can be if they're on on offense, if they're on on defense. Florida may go out there and play a good game, and it may not matter. We may not be able to tell. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens because. Florida, if you look at any sort of advanced stats, even look at yards per play, stuff like that, Florida has a better offense than Oregon. Florida has the exact same rating when you look at predicted points added, which is an EPA-based metric, as Oregon. So they're both bad, right? And so Oregon just got completely demolished by Georgia. 
And so, you know, again, that's maybe one thing that Billy Napier wants to look back on. Good thing he had two weeks to look back on that and see what Oregon did and say, okay, we're going to do the other thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, their pass defense is about as bad as Florida's. Well, so Florida's in, the interesting thing about Florida is whether it's pass or rush, they've basically been equally bad. Um, that's not necessarily been true for Oregon. Uh, and and not necessarily true for a lot of different teams. And this was sort of my recommendation last week was pick one, right? Either decide you're going to make Stetson Bennett beat him or decide you're going to make the running back for Georgia beat you, but do not allow both to beat you, right? Like you got to make a choice and you're going to have to stick with that choice even if it's not successful. Um, one of the things I think you run into is, okay, I'm going to try, you know, a cover two man under and then that didn't work. So I'm going to switch to something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, well – you know, that's not the best way to do things in most cases. You got to sort of stick to your guns. Just like Napier went for it on fourth down against Tennessee pretty much every time because he knew he needed to, based on, uh, you know, he's like, look, I'm not going to change my approach in the first quarter or the fourth quarter. I'm just going to go for it the entire game. I think it's the same thing from the defensive side of the ball. So, um, yes, it's entirely possible. If Georgia plays its best game and Florida plays its best game, Georgia probably does win by a couple of touchdowns. If Florida plays its best game and Georgia plays like a B or a C, it's a close game. I think you're going to have to have one of those, you know, Madden games where you turn it on and you're 8-0 and you're driving down the field. And every time you get to the one, you get hit and the ball gets knocked out. And, you know, if, if you're an unscrupulous player, you hit reset and go, I'm going to play this one again. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I've never done that, I swear. And, uh, you know, this is, this is one of those where I think in order to get that sort of win, you're going to need a game like that. But that happens every once in a while. I mean, just think about 2000. 2012, right? And what it took for Georgia to beat Florida in that game where Florida just turned the ball over, over and over and over again. And, you know, for all of the laudits that have gone Georgia's way, and I think their offense has been really good this year, Stetson Bennett has not been as good this year as he was last year. At least he hasn't been as efficient. And you look at that Missouri game, and that was a game where essentially um, Georgia, with a couple of big plays to the tight ends there in the fourth quarter, was able to bail out what was really a substandard performance by Bennett up until that point. Um, Does Florida have the horses on defense to do that same thing? Probably not. But does Florida have better horses on the offensive side of the ball to score some points compared to Missouri? Yeah. So this is one where I think if you get into a shootout, if they exceed the over-under, I think Florida's going to keep it close. I think if uh, if, – it, but you know, you always have that up. It's one of those things where you just don't know what you're going to get from right. the Florida offense. Like yep. you might get 35 points, you might get six points, <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of it's going to depend on turnovers, and a lot of it's going to depend on whether the explosives come. Georgia obviously very good at preventing those, and so uh, you know we'll see. But again, same thing. LSU sort of the bellwether for the season. The fact that the fact that Florida loses that game says a lot about the program and where it is. I think we've sort of ratcheted back our expectations significantly. The thought after that, or before the LSU game, was all right. Let's let's get a solid win, five and two, heading into the Georgia game. Even if you lose that when you're five and three, but you're still feeling good about yourself. Now it's you know to really feel good about yourself coming out of this one. You're either going to have to play it really close, or you're going to have to come out with a W. And so uh, you know because you beat by thirty points, no one's going to be encouraged going into that Texas A&M game, regardless of the struggles that they've had so um, this is one of those where i think florida has has a chance to establish what they're going to be for the rest of the year and and i'm excited to see what they do this weekend because look it's florida georgia man like if you don't like this one if you don't want to watch this one um i I don't know what's wrong with you you got you got uh (laughs) yeah everybody always throws out that you're not a real fan but if if you don't want to watch florida georgia you're not a real fan i'll throw that one out there yeah i've never found myself not wanting to watch a game no matter how bad i might think it turned out (laughs) i'm watching my gators as we as we've always said you get 
12, 13, 14 of these a year. You know, it's I'm watching. <laughs> so, uh, good stuff, Will. Uh, a lot to get into. I know uh, we were thrown for a loop, a good loop, about an hour before uh, we, we, we had to hit record here. Uh, Gators pick up Roderick Kearney. Of course, be on the lookout for Cormani McLean on Thursday. Everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button before we sign off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.